Aha, multiply You long divide done this this cold uh no all right no. you ready get it all right uh welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast episode presents matthew presents southworth. <laughs> matthew southworth uh yeah um matt matthew uh south matt i guess <laughs> you know i just think matthew looks better but it's weird because with with that many th sounds and especially a th with a w next to it, it it sounds like you've got a lisp and are spitting. Right. Southworth. You got that yeah, very clutch double yeah. th in the within the same last name. I'm into that. But, but it, it looks cool. cool. On gas, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very much. Very much. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's helpful to have the Matthew also from a design standpoint. Stacking your name is exactly. easier than Matt. That's <laughs> Southworth. That's literally why I do it. Yeah, because <laughs> I used to sign my whole name, and it just looked dumb, Matt. And then, oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we've got Matt here in the store doing a signing with us. Um, people may know Matt most prominently from uh, the Art and Stumptown, which is now a television show. But I've learned that you're just a man of many, many features: uh, writing, <laughs> music, art. You do a lot of it. I do, yeah. Do you consider any one of those like your particular thing? Like, is it comic book art? But because it seems like you've done a, a pretty rich music career as well. Um. Well, rich in quotes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't really like. I don't. I don't. This sounds corny to put it this way, but it all kind of feels like the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's all the same sort of irresponsible uh, approach to life that until we got a TV show looked like a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, like I've started building guitars and stuff too. And that feels just like the same thing. It just mm -hmm. feels like I draw and when I'm not feeling confident enough to draw, I'll write. And when I'm frustrated with writing, I'll go write a song. And when I'm done writing a song, I'll record it. And when I'm done recording it, I'll go in the garage because I don't want to be creative now i'm in the garage building a guitar and, you know. um matt do you do the soldering on the guitars yourself i do gosh okay. not, well, not a lot after we bit. finish this we need to go back to my place because i just don't feel good about the ground solder on my bass so yeah gotta get that fixed my brother is a musician when we were growing up uh we lived in wyoming not a lot of musical outlet there unless it was country or punk mm -hmm. um and he he wasn't really in bands yet he was like 12 or 13 maybe and he would hang out downstairs and play the piano until he was sweaty and then he'd go upstairs into his bedroom and play guitar and then he'd go down into the basement and play drums and it was just this circuit that he did all day every single day it's uh i i can't i can't do that kind of switching of skill sets yeah and and well what i hoped when i started drawing comics professionally 
um, was that having this like varied background, you know, like I have a degree in theater, mm-hmm. you know, in playwriting, um, having all that stuff I was hoping would bring something that say Arthur Adams wouldn't have, you know, that mm-hmm. it was just no shade on Arthur Adams. He can draw 10 times better than I can. Uh, but the idea that I was never going to be the world's greatest, you know, Iron Man artist right. or whatever, but that maybe I could bring something different in, you know? Yeah, that's my my understanding of myself as well. It's like, well, I'm never going to be the best at something, so let's just hope that my varied field of interest allows me to have a unique take on it. Yeah. Well, it's it's weird. People talk about, especially when it's a career thing, like everybody – that likes to cook you just like to cook mm-hmm. you know you go like i make this great whatever white bean soup and you don't think yeah but is it the best right. white yeah. bean soup yeah. you just make your soup and people eat it and they're like the soup's great and you're like thanks very much and that's that's your payment you know uh and that's what i've tried to tried to instill in myself like i used to work with this guy stefano gaudiano mm-hmm. who was the anchor on The Walking Dead for quite a while. I was working with him when he was on Daredevil. And he's extremely self-critical, and I'm extremely self-critical. And, uh, you know, we were sort of trying to unravel that. We would have these marathon philosophical discussions. And one day it just dawned on me, it was like, we should treat ourselves the way you would treat your six-year-old son who brought a drawing home from school. Yeah. You don't look at it and go, that doesn't look like a an elbow that's a bad elbow (laughs) Jeffrey you need to learn to draw elbows (laughs) you put it up on the refrigerator and you love it and he loves it because he was like look what I made and it's just a better way to live yeah Mm -hmm. so that's the uh, the ideal but I haven't achieved that yet yeah that's an interesting like food is a great example of that because art it seems like we always have this objective comparison that's going on like you're comparing it to the masters you can look at art adams pictures but not everyone is like well i know what gordon ramsay's blank food tasted like so there is just a way more acceptance with the way things are why yeah why is art and music is a similar thing of like oh i'm beating myself down for not being as good as a certain thing yeah yeah just acceptance part of it is like the permanence too Right, like food is that's true. Food, food, you eat it and it's gone, and the ambiance that you were in when you ate it, and like whatever you ate for lunch is gone. Well, and also, yeah, people people eat because they have to. Right, they don't have to read your comments. (laughs) That's true. Uh, But yeah, I think the permanence thing is probably really what it's about, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is one of the reasons I don't look at my work when I finish it. Like when I finish a page, I shove it in a drawer and I don't want to look at it because what I've tried to instill is the idea that like it's a diary of what I did that day or whatever Mm -hmm. excuse me rather than um rather than you know a a monument to myself that I've created that goes in the park and people come and salute it uh so it's just more fun to kind of do it that way like what I've started doing with songwriting I haven't been writing a lot of songs lately but well, I've been writing more songs lately, but over the past few years, I haven't been writing a lot. But now I just dictate them into my phone. Like the lyrical elements? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, just <clears throat> text. And I don't look at them again until, like yesterday, I was like, well, I've got to write a song for this project that I'm doing. And I, I didn't have any ideas, so I just started scrolling through my text to myself. I found one song that it's got to be 
nine minutes long. <laughs> I was like, what the hell was I thinking Matt's when I wrote this? a tool this? record. Yeah, I just couldn't stop, I yeah. guess. Uh, but usually, you know, like you just – there's a lot of them where I, I get sort of four stanzas in and I come up with what I think is a clever rhyme. Like what's uh, the thing that I found yesterday was – and I tried recording it. Uh, I've put you in a box – Packed you up and sealed, packed you up and sealed away in the attic, in democratically elected <laughs> ways. And as I sang it, I was like, I have no idea what that means. Right. Like you put somebody in a box in a democratically elected way is bullshit, but it rhymes. Sure, sure. So there's a lot of them where I get to that point, and then you just see it stop. You know, that's the end of that text because I'm like stuck on some <laughs> dumb rhyme. And you went sort of you floated through different bands, and you've been in bands with like other people from other bands like in the Seattle mm -hmm. scene and then so in the music that you're working on now you said you've got a project do you uh, you're in a band called the Capillaries is that right? Yeah that was my I had I formed the Capillaries when I lived in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and we were together maybe a year and a half maybe two years uh, before I moved to Seattle and then I just sort of packed up the name and the songs mm -hmm. when I moved to Seattle uh, and then had that band for 10 years or so. And then uh, as my comics career started to get more demanding, we had reached, we had sort of plateaued in a way. Like we we were, the number of people that were coming to see us was starting to dwindle mm -hmm. as people were getting married or having kids and stopping going out. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, and and we were kind of a like a noisier Elvis Costello crossed with Weezer, crossed with the Posies mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that was sort of falling out of favor for a while there. Um, and then my drum, uh, there were 19 members of the Capillary. Sure, you gotta have, <laughs> yeah. anything less than 15 is, you know, uh, what are you doing? But my drummer was the one constant uh, once I was in Seattle, most of most of the time. And he moved to New Jersey. And so then I was kind of like, okay, maybe this is a sign to okay. let this fall asleep for a while. Uh, all the other stuff that I did, I played with Sean Nelson, uh, who was Harvey Danger's right. singer mm -hmm. in this band, uh, Sean Nelson and his Mortal Enemies. Sean's one of my oldest friends. And that wasn't really a, a going concern for long. We played two shows. We rehearsed a handful of times. I played second guitar in Harvey Danger a little mm -hmm. bit. But again, that was it was sort of like... You know, it was like having a part-time friend come in for a weekend every once in a while right. to work at the counter. They, those weren't really bands for me. Mostly it was just the Capillaries. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, – have have you combined music, guitar making, and comic art or, or have any any plans to have – uh, have you ever thought about smashing all that stuff together somehow? I've never really thought about comic art on these guitars. The guitar building thing is a pretty new thing, and mm -hmm. it's still it's it's not even really a hobby as much as it is like a an experiment, right. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I keep buying power tools and you know, <laughs> sort of keep investing in it. Um, I definitely want to and. In, in the process of combining music and comics. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I've never thought about actually putting my art on the guitars. Right. Uh, the closest I got to that is I got a bunch of old Playboy magazines. <laughs> and I'm my plan is to sort of collage and stick them on one of the guitars. Yeah, Maybe nice. one I'm going to get The articles, right? Yes. <laughs> a bunch of stories by Robert Heinlein and yeah. Isaac Asimov. We have a bunch of old Playboys we can do that with as well. I mean, I could hook you up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm curious... Do you, so you primarily in your comic book art career, like you're not writing as well. I mean, like Stumptown you did with Ruckeye, you're working on a book right now, Cloven, that you're right. you're doing the art in. Yeah. Does it work better for you in your head to sort of have a separation from the art and the writing? Or do you endeavor to at some point be writing and illustrating your own comic? Uh, yeah, Yes to both questions. Okay. Um, I've I've written a little bit in comics, you know. Like I say, I have a, a background in playwriting, <clears throat> and uh, when I came into comics, you know, I I've loved comics since I was a kid, and I drew comics when I was a kid. Um, and my oldest friend is Joe Casey, mm -hmm. the writer Joe yeah. Casey. And when I lived in L.A., he also lives in L.A. Um, you know, I was writing screenplays, and you know, just sort of hoping that they would get read and then maybe get optioned and then maybe get bought and then maybe get made, but also probably made after being totally destroyed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I would look at Joe and he was writing comics and two months later they were out right. or whatever. And I was like, well, that's the way you do it, you know, as long as you don't need to pay any bills. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been pretty good about dodging bills. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so... This is a long answer. Um, I wrote some stuff for Dark Horse. I wrote a couple of small pieces in Creepy that I also drew. And I wrote a thing for Dark Horse Presents called Addressee Unknown, which is a kind of a psychological mystery. Um, that was a three-issue thing, three three segment thing for Dark Horse Presents, but then Dark Horse Presents got canceled before mm. they published it. Oh. Um, yeah, I, poor Dark Horse Presents. Yeah. yeah. Anthologies are rough. They're hard you know? to do. They're, They're hard, hard for me to read. Yeah, like, yeah. You know? They're hard to sell. Yeah. Um but uh but I have the rights to that. And so I you know, Mike Richardson was very gracious about just giving it back to me. Um for which I thank him. Um so I can do something with it, but it's only 24 pages. So what do you do with it? You know, one shot, independent kind of right. That's yeah. a hard you know. sell. Uh, and I would like to expand it a little bit, but it, it's not going to expand to 124 pages. It's going to expand <laughs> to 30. Sure. You know. <laughs> um, but aside from that, I'm I'm working on two things right now. Um, I have a project that I'm just writing called Aurora. Uh, we're, I've been sort of poking at this thing for a long time, but I have an artist, I believe we've set it up and we're going to do it, but we're right at the very beginning as mm -hmm. of kind of yesterday. Um, and we'll see what happens with that. You know, that would be like a five issue miniseries. It's about, um, it's about drug culture on Aurora Avenue in Seattle oh, cool. and it opening sort of a gateway to a, an underworld uh, 
battle for the city's soul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did that. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, and it's it resembles Stumptown in a sense because it's very um, geographically accurate. It's very, uh, you know, like one of the things I wanted to do in Stumptown is I wanted it to be like you could see a scene set at the Heathman Hotel and you'd be like, hey, I know the Heathman Hotel. Mm -hmm. And then if there was a shot to somebody looking across the street, you'd be like, yep, that's what's actually yeah, across yeah. the street. Yeah. Uh, that stuff's really important <clears throat> to me. So Aurora is written that way too. It's all real locations. And is the artist a Seattle artist? or No. Because you're not a Portland resident, so you had right. to work from reference for Stumptown, right? Well, yeah, we go to Portland quite a bit. and uh, And everybody, of course thought I was from Portland right. anyway. Yeah. I thought you um, were. Yeah, everybody <laughs> does. Uh, I'm pale. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yeah, so no, this guy, uh, his name is Jay. He lives in California somewhere. Hmm. Um, and like I said, we're right at the very, very beginning. In fact, he hasn't drawn anything yet. Right. So, uh, But I'm sending him lots of reference. Aurora's main character is kind of an amalgam of me and a guy that used to play in my band um his name is mikey our character's name is maddie okay. so uh he's an apartment manager in this kind of u-shaped apartment building i was a manager at this building uh the story's fiction but the circumstances are real excuse me i uh I'm always really interested in sort of the working relationship between writers and artists. It seems like a, mm -hmm. a kind of a scary thing to like write a script and then give it to an artist and, and then, you know, they're going to interpret it in the way that they interpreted it. Uh, so like there's those working relationships that are just absolutely incredible and like they're a synergy between two people. How is it different engaging in that sort of alchemy relationship uh, as an artist versus as a writer? Like are you more concerned as a writer having it go off or are you always pretty excited and eager to have it come back or is it less stressful than as an like a, an artist receiving pages mm -hmm. and then feeling like there's an expectation you have to live up to well that's interesting i don't i don't really hmm you got him well i mean <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just it seems like i'm kind of a control freak uh you know when it comes to working on anything music or art or here at the shop um you, you pick the people you work with real carefully. Yeah, definitely. So forging those relationships within the comics is is an interesting thing to me. But, yeah, I'm just kind of curious. Is it Do you feel a larger expectation being the artist on a book or uh, as the writer? I guess, um, well, I did a lot of one-shots and things. You know, I did, I did a lot of work for Marvel for a little while. And... There were expectations there because I, because like what I was saying, I didn't draw like Arthur Adams mm -hmm. or David Finch mm -hmm. or somebody like that. So I felt kind of self conscious a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. I felt kind of like, um, and it, to me, it really shows in the work. It looks like I'm trying to make somebody happy and I'm not making me happy right. either. Yeah. And I didn't make them happy, I don't think either. Um, and that was, you know, that was nobody's fault. Nobody ever complained. I actually had a really great experience working with Marvel. But um, so there was there was an expectation there. And, of course, like the first few issues of Stumptown I did, I was 
I literally thought I was going to be fired right. on the first <laughs> issue. I was convinced uh, because I got that job in a really weird kind of ass backwards way. Um, and uh, but, you know, then it turned out OK. People really liked it. And the the few sort of um, issues that we had, like they just stopped being an issue, really. Uh, when I've written for other people and I have written for a couple of people and the project, three people and the projects all sort of stalled. So I keep uh, having these attacks of energy water. <laughs> <laughs> Highball. Uh, um, he edits the suits all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah great. <laughs> um, uh, I've written for these three people and now a fourth. Um, and I basically just was sort of delighted, mm -hmm. you know, that they, because I would write it in a way that like, I could see exactly what was happening when I wrote it. I tried to be very explicit and descriptive and sort of overly descriptive, not quite to the Alan Moore level, but right. the same mm -hmm. idea of like, I'm going to tell you everything in the room and then you don't have to use any of it if you have something better, but I'm just going to tell you what's in the sure. picture in my head. Um, and then I would get it back, and it would be like fantastic. Okay, you know, mm -hmm. um, I have—I'm totally a control freak too. But I also had, at least in one of these circumstances, um, it's an earlier version of Aurora that kind of fell apart. I was coloring it too. Okay. So, like, if there were things that, like, the mood of the scene seemed wrong, I could, you know, I could have more sunlight streaming in sure. the window or whatever, you huh. know. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So do you ever feel inclined to do stuff where you're doing both the writing and the art? Mm -hmm. This is something that Jeff and I have talked about a ton because he loves when one writer yeah, does the art too and everything. And I love, I like, I love that, but I love seeing when someone, when two people come together and the collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, kind of, it comes from that, that self-critical, that idea that you can, well, I'm criticizing my stuff, but I know that I'm in this with someone else and they can add. I know that oh, they're sure, going to yeah. add to it and build on it. And so I, I'm always kind of fascinated by that, which you're what inspires what like, do you ever want to have the full control over that piece to the extent or is it a relief of being able to work with someone else? Well, it's both now, um, you know, up until the past couple of years, like my my dream was always to do everything myself mm -hmm. and you know it it was never about the money but of course in indie comics there's almost no money right. yeah. so the fewer <laughs> slices of the pie mm -hmm. the more conceivable you could actually pay your bills you mm -hmm. know um however like now uh it's also a relief to not uh, to write something for somebody else and to go okay now I can just sit on that for a couple of months while he works his ass off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, I've done my uh, share. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and writing is hard, but it's, it's conceptually hard. It's not like, um, it's not labor in the way that drawing a comic mm -hmm. is, you know? So it's a different, it's a different thing. Um, I have a real hard time. I can't imagine doing a comic from like start to finish. Cause I, when I'm creating something, I work more to prove the concept, and then I get tired of it and yeah. I walk away. Yeah, I think I would have an easier time writing 
a comic good enough to hand it off to an artist. Because mm-hmm. if I was the artist, I would do the thumbnails and be like, yeah, it looks pretty good. I'm done. You know, like, oh, yeah, that page is totally going to work. There are comics that I like that are basically that. You yeah. know, like I love Harvey Kurtzman's drawing. Uh-huh. And it's it's very much just loose thumbnail stuff. He yeah. didn't think he drew well. Right. That's why he was always having Jack Davis draw his stuff or whatever, or Will Elder. But I prefer Harvey Kurtzman's roughs right. to those guys, even though I love their stuff. Uh, to follow up on your question, um, this other project that I'm doing that I still – I don't – I think I found – a name for it this morning when I took a shower. Oh, <laughs> shower thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's called The Volunteer. Um, and it's it's something that I'm working on with a specific outlet in mind that somebody that I've been talking to about this, um, but I don't want to say something and commit them in some sure. awkward yeah. way. Yeah. So I'm going to be coy about that. But it would it would be a project that I wrote and dr- I'll write and draw and write the music for it oh, nice. because it would be it, it's a motion comic mm-hmm. about a songwriter in Nashville in 1970 cool uh, who gets drawn into a sort of Chinatown-esque mystery okay um, and that's you know when I was saying I was looking for song lyrics yesterday that I had written that's what I was doing okay um, and uh yeah, the idea of, of it being like totally mine is exciting to me, but it also puts this enormous pressure on me to be disciplined enough to get the damn thing done, mm-hmm. and that's like not my thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Um, I just downloaded the uh, Gord Downey album that Jeff Lemire illustrated. Oh, yeah, uh, I don't know Path. about that. It was one yeah. of his last, he had he did two records after he was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was Secret Path. And then um, I think there's been an animated album made from that. And also Jeff Lemire illustrated like this giant oversized oh, cool. thing. And it's, it's, you know, Lemire's specialty is sad kids walking through the snow. And this is literally <laughs> a, a sad kid who's escaped a... a foster situation in canada walking through the snow yeah Uh, it's great (laughs) yeah it sounds awesome like you know i used to have those power records when i was a kid oh yeah you know and and of course like i've got a theater background and i made a movie and like i i would love to do like a power records version of this thing who knows maybe that actually makes sense at some point yeah um yeah you can tickle the right nostalgia bone <laughs> yeah it was yeah. i love hearing you talk about like different things that you worked on and you know getting ready for this i was looking at the wikipedia page or something <clears throat> and i got like halfway through and i was like am i on the right person like now we're talking about a movie that's being made in a playwright i was like i must have just clicked a different oh no it's still the same gentleman he's just done a lot of different stuff. Yeah, uh, I didn't have any girlfriends for a long time. That's, so I had a lot of ambition yeah. and a lot to prove. Um, <laughs> when you were young and like starting out, or you've said you've always been into comics, who are, you know, you mentioned Art Adams and Harvey Kurtzman, who are your, like, your kind of, your artists and writers that have influenced you the most, or you sort of, uh, I admire uh, not directly comparing your works to other works, mm-hmm. but is there somebody that you're always kind of striving to be or uh, follow in their path? Well, less so now. I'm I'm finding I don't read a lot of comics mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. I still really love comics, but I sort of 
I guess in, it's kind of like you know burning out on your favorite movie, sure. and then you wait five years and then you watch it again. Like I've just gotten back to Star Wars. I hated Star Wars for a long time. <laughs> I loved Star Wars as a kid. Then I just got so tired of hearing people talk about it. I just couldn't bear it, and I dove back in. Um, so uh, there's not a lot of people that I like sort of you know aspire to mm-hmm. or anything anymore. There are certainly plenty of people whose work I think is so fantastic that I wish I worked that my work was that good mm-hmm. um, guys like I mean you know I could go on a list of a million but sure. I, I'll give you uh, 500,000 okay cool I'll take um, it <laughs> uh, there's Alex Toth okay. you know everybody likes Alex Toth uh, there's Harvey Kurtzman there's Bernie Krigstein mm, I'm not sure Bernie Krigstein uh did what I think is one of the greatest comics ever, uh, this EC story called Master Race. It's like when you look at those, you know, Smithsonian uh, collection of comics or whatever, and like the greatest comics of the 20th century, uh-huh. Master Race is always in there. Okay. Um, he was an EC guy. He was a he was a kind of a fine artist sort of slumming in comics. And, you know, EC, they would give them the, the Bristol board pre-lettered. So you, <laughs> you blew our minds. Yeah. <laughs> and they're huge too, by the way. They're I mean, an EC page is probably what is that, twenty eight inches high? One hundred and fifty percent of what you yeah. usually draw. Well, it's called twice up, but I think they're even bigger than twice up. Yeah. Um, which I guess would be twice up twenty two yeah. by seventeen. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, they would give them the pages were relettered and re and previously paneled. So that's why, like, when you read EC comics, they're so text heavy, mm-hmm. you know, because they were they were just saying like, you know, now draw a lady yelling at her husband in this panel. And that's probably why, like, drawing the Marvel way, like the Marvel process, was a big thing because yeah. it, it was so different from mm-hmm. EC then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Kurtz or Krigstein, um, what he would do is they would give him the pages and it it would have, you know, six panels on the page, let's say, and he would control time by shaving those panels into, you know, maybe four panels in the middle where there was oh. one. So he'd break them up and they started getting angry at him yeah. and then he would go further with it and, <laughs> uh, like, was real sort of uncontrollable but obviously had a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's a favorite. Um, Darwin Cook... Was a favorite, is a favorite, was yeah. a favorite. Uh, Jaime Hernandez, okay. you know, all those guys. Um, I'm trying to think who else, who's in my bookcase. Oh, Mobius and Richard Corbin. Sure, and sure. Robert Crumb and, you know. Okay, so yeah, yeah. like that, that, that slightly more underground school of, yeah. of comic creation. Yeah, like most regular superhero comic art, doesn't do much for me in the same way that most action movies don't do much for me. I'm with you there. Like, I, I was amazed to read that there's nine Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that exists. Um, but Good morning, you're in a room. <laughs> <laughs> Love those movies. Oh, I, I'm not I just like the family them. aspect. <laughs> but I like I'm, when things blow up. Yeah. <laughs> they, that, that's what puts me to sleep, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but, like, you know, I was thinking about this today. I always, like, the comics that I loved as a kid. I mean, I loved John Byrne. Mm-hmm. I loved the John Byrne X-Men. But the comics are Walt Simonson, Frank Miller. Um, Frank Miller's still a big favorite. 
less so with his current work, but, yeah. <laughs> but my appreciation of him still really strong because maybe this is not the kind of thing I should say on a podcast, no, but I'm good. going to. <laughs> I think Frank Miller is the king of taking very limited drawing skills and exploiting them to the nth degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he he created something really great out of not being all that fantastic yeah. draft. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. You can almost consider some of his stylistic things shortcuts, but just Absolutely. maximize. Yeah. 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 And more and more as he goes too, I think. Yeah. You know, like he's he's using less and less line. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know, some of the stuff that I liked about his work has changed significantly now, but uh well, anyway, what I was going to say, uh, I always liked this in comics, and I like this in movies. Um, I like the stunt issue. Like, there's that issue of Fantastic Four by John Byrne, which I think is 252, that is sideways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that issue of uh, Thor by Walt Simonson that's all splash pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I even like that Alpha Flight issue by John Byrne that's all white, yeah. <laughs> where it's in a snowstorm. A lot of yeah. people are like, how dare you? And I think it's really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and same thing with movies. I love this movie, All Is Lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody know this movie? All Is Lost is great. It uh, opens with a kind of a crash. And Robert Redford, who is inside a boat, like a yacht kind of thing, uh, pops up, or it's a sailboat, I should say, pops up and like is what what was that and he walks outside and a shipping container has slammed into the side of his boat and put a hole in it and for the next hour and a half there's no dialogue it's just this older man on a boat trying to save his life wow wow and it's it's fantastic because it's the only movie i've ever watched where you know any movie you you sort of root for the main character and you feel their sense of jeopardy and all that but like in this film, about halfway through, I was like, I guess I'm fucked because <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I'm yeah. out of ideas. Yeah, like, yeah. and there's still a lot of movie to go, and you're like, what's he gonna do? Yeah, you know? you're just gonna see his body floating for the last <laughs> yeah. forty minutes. It's a great movie. <laughs> Nobody saw it, but anyway, that's the kind huh. of stuff I like. Yeah, no, I I also love you know just experimenting with a medium, kind of yeah, above yeah. all else. Like, there's rules, and like, fuck it, let's break them. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah see what happens, and. and the reason I sort of chose that uh, Fast and the Furious reference is I've seen so many movies now that pretty much the only thing I want when I go to the movies is to see a movie I haven't seen before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this movie, The Lighthouse. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. So, I was like, I so haven't good. seen this movie yeah, before. No, Great. sure haven't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dug that. Um, on the topic of, I guess, seeing movies, like Colette and I were talking just this morning, but like you had a comic turned into a television show, Stumptown. I can't imagine like what a complex sort of s- stew of emotions that has to be um, <laughs> to like take this thing that you've made and then watch people need you know turn it into a thing that is widely accessible and I, right. I I think the show is really like successful at doing what it does and my my girlfriend is also a huge fan of it like Colette I is love loving it, it. but um, I mean I remember when we were talking last year at Emerald City and you said that. It sometimes was being turned into a show and everything, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool," because so much stuff is turned into a show that's maybe gonna last a season. Yeah, yeah. So, and then I saw the ad for it, and I was like, "Oh shit, it's a it's yeah. a show." They did it's yeah. like... just optioned. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had the same reaction. Uh, you know, I used to work in Hollywood, and there was I, I saw people like you know really sort of enthusiastic about that they had a project going at Cruz Wagner at Paramount mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Tom Cruise was going to make their movie and I just watched them get squashed right. and, you know 
And that's actually why I left L.A. was I realized that L.A. was a city full of people who, when they were in the play in a high school play, everybody was like, you know, you're special. Mm -hmm. And they would say, are you going to remember us when you're famous? And they'd go to the dentist and they go, "Ah, you're really good in that play. And, uh, you know, they're like, I'm going to live my dream and I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And they move there. And not only does it not work for them, it doesn't work for almost anybody they know. Right. Or anybody I knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's a city full of heartbroken people who yeah. don't feel yeah. special anymore. Yeah. And I was like, this is bad news. I need to get out of here. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, like it even, it's, it, you know, it infected people who were kind of successful that I knew who eventually, one of whom died, my friend Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, but so in the case of when, when Stumptown was happening, like nothing happened with Stumptown forever. You know, like we started the book, like I can't even remember how long ago, maybe 2008. Yeah. Uh, and um, there was just nothing. And then I guess it's almost two years ago now. Uh, Greg contacted me and said, you know, hey, just so you know, there's there might be some interest in Stumptown. And I was like, well, OK, that's interesting. And I don't want to act like I'm super mature about it. Of course, I was like, how could I spend the money? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> how much money would it Buy be? a lot of guitar pieces. <laughs> yeah, <now. exactly. laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you know, but I was also like, eh. okay, so it's going to get optioned, let's say. So I've then heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it got optioned, but that was just a little money. Um, and, you know, it, it was split – among me and Greg and Justin Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like that's money for something I did 10 years ago or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like, cool. That'll be helpful. And I've lived almost my entire adult life really in financial trouble yeah. all the time. Comic book life. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to sell my plasma and was on food stamps. Those are all big parts yeah. of Bellingham College life. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. are you a comic creator or are you a musician? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the best of both worlds. Um, when I when I sell my plasma, I say I'm a comic creator. <laughs> when I pick up my food stamps, I say I'm a musician. Uh, and then, like, then they're like, they're going to shoot a pilot. And I was like, Whoa, well that's that's exciting. And they cast someone, I've told this story before, but they cast somebody and I can't honestly I can't remember who it is. I'm mm-hmm. not being polite. Mm-hmm. But it was somebody I'd never heard of. Um and I saw the picture of her and I was like, "Well, okay. That's not who I was drawing at right. all, but okay. You know, maybe she's great. I don't know. I've never seen her in anything." Um and within just a couple of days, it kind of emerged that she was not the person that that they had cast and that Kobe Smulders was interested in. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's who I was drawing. That looks yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and also, mm-hmm. like, you know, she's in Marvel movies and, like, she's she's recognizable and likable. Everybody likes her. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, this might actually get made. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, then so they're, they're making the pilot and I went down uh, for the last day of shooting and met her and, and she was like 
it's like you conjured me. <laughs> I look just like her. Huh? And I was like, yeah, this is pretty great. Watching a you lot know? of How I Met Your Mother at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and as a matter of fact, I had never seen How I Met right, Your Mother. Right. Didn't know she was in it at all. I just thought she was the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there was that. So then, you know, like about a month after they had shot the pilot and then I had been down on the set, which was really cool, by the way, because... Um, you know, when they shoot something in the neighborhood, they put the things on the telephone poles right. and say this way to whatever. And they always have some code name. You know, they don't say this way to Mission Impossible. Right, 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 right. Um, but in Portland, what they did was they blew up a drawing from the cover of Stumptown Number 1 mm-hmm. and printed it on this blue paper and they would stick it to stop signs everywhere. <laughs> nice. So I drive down to town, you know, I go to stop at a stop sign. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so about a month elapses, and then we see the pilot, and I was very anxious about it because, I, like I say, I'm really self-critical. Yeah. I'm also very critical of movies and things that I've seen before, like I say, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, my expectations were really uh, low but hopeful. Mm-hmm. I said to my girlfriend, I was like, please don't be critical of this. <laughs> let's let's try to like it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And within like three minutes, I was like, I kind of looked at her like, I actually, I like it. Like yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, it. even more so in the second episode, I've actually only seen the first two mm-hmm. episodes. Um, like, I was like, I don't believe it, but I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt the same way about the new Star Wars movies, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just saw uh, The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker in the past few weeks. Because I'd been avoiding them. Right. I liked mm-hmm. The Force Awakens, but I was, you know, everybody bitched about both sure. these movies. Yeah, I was like, they eh. sure do. <laughs> and, and so I was like, eh, I guess I don't need to. Anyway, I went to see them, and both of them, I was like, holy shit, I love that movie. Yeah. That was yeah. great. Um, so uh, the point, I guess, basically is it's been nothing but a pleasant experience having it turned into a show. Because I like what they're doing. It's not exactly what we did, but it's it feels like other issues of the comic that mm-hmm. I didn't draw. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. It's it. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're gonna take a four four story comic and blow it up into a TV show, yeah, you better figure out how to how to insert stuff and not make it feel weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they're doing a really good job of that. Well, and I'm. Yeah, well, and, and it has been a decade, and so there is updating that needs to happen to make it feel relevant, and it feels right. like they've kind of done that without taking away from the core of what it was, which is really often a miss on shows. Yeah, and, you know, the social culture of the United States, but particularly kind of liberal havens like Portland, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is way different than it was in 2008. Yeah. It's everything's different. The the way you act when you go out to a bar and you see somebody attractive, it's way different than it was 10 years ago, you know? Um I don't even know if Tinder existed back in 2000. Right. You know, like, <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and on top of that, like, you know, it, it hasn't been a lot of money, but for the first time in my life, I'm not panicked. Like, yeah. if my car broke down on the way up here, I'd be like, oh, man, that's going to cost me some money. Not, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. Which, I got to find 
two plasma places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they have to not be in communication. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. I'm so glad mm. to hear that it's been a positive experience yeah. for you because it is the kind of thing that you oftentimes hear people like change a thing or people you know want it a certain way and yeah. uh, you create some distance from your art. So I love getting to be proud of a thing still. That's very, very cool. Yeah, the only significant change is her car, mm-hmm. you know, which, <laughs> which I was very specific about. Like I wanted to treat that car like a character. Right. And when they changed it, at first I was like, uh. But, I mean, the car that I chose is a classic car. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that she had a classic car that was a piece of shit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. But now she has a car that's a piece of shit. And you go, oh, that looks like a piece of shit I would have. Right. Like, I get that. You know, and that gag Mm -hmm. with the tape that gets stuck in the tape player. It's like... Mm -hmm. That she's got a tape player, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, that scene was very good. Yeah. Uh, my dad did uh, the only music video he ever did was for a song called "Born in a Biscayne" that he and somebody else wrote, and the lyric is, "I was born in a Biscayne back in '55," and uh, almost every time he played it, somebody would come up to him after the show and say, "You know that they didn't make the Biscayne until '57 <laughs> or '58, right?" So he was always like, "Yeah, that's you know." It rhymed with my mom <laughs> right. was a sweet thing. She kept the boy alive. Yeah, like, right. it's, a, it's a good line. Is all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I worked on, I was going to do the uh, Casino Royale adaptation oh. in comics. Mm. I actually did 50-something pages of it, 55. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was, I would have loved that. It, it kind of fell apart. Yeah. And, um, and I was very conscious of that because Bond fanatics are like, nutty yeah about that stuff yeah. like you can't get anything wrong and i had a conflict with the guy who sort of represented the fleming estate at one point because i had given uh q no q m i can't even remember anymore uh um a mustache and he was like well it doesn't say as a mustache in the book <laughs> it doesn't say he doesn't have a yeah. mustache in the book either yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like there was a lot of that sort of micromanaging sure. stuff wow and it just eventually it was like they you know the first 20 pages i turned in they wanted significant changes to 18 of them man and i was like i'm just not making enough money to justify it yeah this. Was, was that when it was coming out through dynamite like were yeah. you okay mm-hmm. I've talked to uh, Punisher fans who will drop it if they're drawing the guns wrong. Yeah. Like, Woof. yeah, same same kind of wrong car, yeah, wrong gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to me that's like I want things to be right when they're important, mm-hmm. you know. It, but like if you – I mean how realistic are we going to get about the Punisher? Right. right? Yeah. You know, like right. come on. Well, that's that's the guys. Yeah, that's who loves him. Yeah, yeah. We work in comics uh, so that we don't have to worry about being wrong about stuff all the time. So, yeah, yeah. Well, like this this Nashville thing, the Volunteer. Uh, Tennessee is the Volunteer State. That's why it's called that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's basically. Uh, how much do you know about Chris Christopherson? Not a ton. Just a little. Yeah. A bit. His face. So you know his face. Yeah. You know him as an actor. Yeah. yeah. You know he was a singer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and a fantastic songwriter, more of a songwriter than a singer. So he was also uh, a Rhodes Scholar. Is He's still alive. He is yeah. a Rhodes Scholar. Um, <clears throat> and he taught at West Point. Oh, wow. And was a, like a career military guy and a helicopter pilot. Sure. Who abandoned all of that. <laughs> 
to move to Nashville to be a songwriter, left his family behind, and uh, was sort of disowned by his parents, who were career military, uh, a career military family, uh, and just basically became an alcoholic janitor for four years and wrote songs. Wow. So that's the basis of my main character in my story. I was like, well, what would happen if that guy got involved in a mystery? Nice. You know, like, <laughs> this guy who's been like, fuck all that, I write songs now. Yeah. And then gets stuck in the middle of something that requires this level of intellect and discipline that he's tried to abandon. And Anyway, Christopherson's fascinating. But uh, the story centers around this section of Nashville called Lower Broadway, um, which is now kind of like the, the bourbon street of Nashville. It's become like tourist central. Um, and Where the street is always wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. has a little oh, pungent yeah, smell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, on weekends now, it's, it's always closed because there's, you know, drunk girls in boots with, you know, beer mugs, like, falling down in the street. Right. Um, but if you happen to look at a, a picture of Lower Broadway, um, there's this sort of postcard view that they always show of it, looking down toward the river, and you'll see this sign that's like a ghost sign painted on one of the buildings that says Tomcats, um, which was this restaurant called Tomcats that was formed from a company called Tomcats Catering. I designed the logo for that company when I was 16. Nice. And then they opened this restaurant in the early 90s, and it's still there. That's so cool. I mean, the, the sign's still there. The restaurant's not still there. Anyway, uh, Lower Broadway is kind of the movie set of my story because everything that has to take place it's within a block of the Ryman Auditorium where the Grand Ole Opry is mm -hmm. and Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, which is the bar that backs up to the Grand Ole Opry where people would, you know, sneak out of the Opry before they performed, run over and get a drink and then go back. <laughs> that whole area when I was in uh, my teenage years growing up was not sort of a bourbon street. It was like hookers and adult bookstores and pawn shops and it was kind of mm -hmm. spooky. Mm -hmm. So there's all of that. And then the next corner down, there was this place called the Alamo of Nashville. I'm telling you my whole story. Uh, the Alamo of Nashville made these spangly clothes um, that like back in the 80s, you would see like Dolly Parton or whatever, wearing like a denim jacket with all these rhinestones mm -hmm. on it. And like they would sort of do kind of it's almost like van painting on a, a, you know, out of rhinestones. Very popular thing in the 80s. I'm kind of scooting this back to the 70s. Um, the Alamo of Nashville was run by a guy named Tony Alamo. His name is pronounced Alamo. <laughs> oh. Tony Alamo and his wife ran a Christian ministry that became a cult. And all the followers would sort of renounce their belongings and their money, and they were the ones making the, the clothes. And when she died, he had her embalmed and put up in the front room of his house so the followers could worship her for six months after Wowza. she was dead. And he was eventually uh, charged with um, like marrying and molesting 12 year old followers yeah, and eventually went to prison for tax evasion. I think he died in prison. Well, they didn't get him for the 12 year olds. They had to get him for tax evasion. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, yeah. the Capone system. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to America. Uh, but anyway, so that, 
you know, the Alamo was like four doors down from Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, which is across the street from the adult bookstores and the pawn shops. And everything's taking place in this one very contained area. It's literally, it's like the back lot of a movie. There's so much like related history within it as well that's super interesting. So how cool to like get to write a thing, you know, from your past like that. Yeah. And so, and... And again, then I also have this goofy connection to it because my right. my mm-hmm. things on the ghost sign right there. So I bring that's a long way of talking about the thing of you know guys and like Punisher fans want the right guns. Right. Mm-hmm. I want it to be like when you're looking out the if I have have a scene inside Tootsie's Orchid Lounge and you can see the pawn shop across the street, it's got to be the right pawn right. shop. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like Jeff just gave me a book of uh, like breaking down the process for Watchmen. And it's all of Dave Gibbons' sketches and notes. And, you know, that, that they had, it was like almost Chris Ware level mapping of that comic so that when they're sitting in a diner, it's always the same right. scene outside. And if, if, if you're looking through the other window of the diner, you're getting the other corner. And like the whole thing is so mapped out. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about that comic specifically is just how you have a, a very specific sense of where you are yeah. in every single moment in that comic. And being able to do that with a real place is super cool. Yeah, me uh, me too. And like I'm kind of a history fanatic and I love to to go to small towns and sort of you know project them back 40 years ago or whatever mm-hmm. what was this place mm-hmm. like before tv you know? right yeah um before vape stores well and yeah. that's what i was going to say about watchmen you know like all this because it was so well thought out it's like blade runner in this sense uh-huh. like you know well how would a parking meter work in 2019 right you know, mm-hmm. from the vantage point of 1979 or whatever um but yeah, you know, like they're they're figuring out vaping and Watchmen, basically. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. can't believe, by the way, when you asked me my favorites, I didn't mention Chris Ware, who is probably my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I just got uh, monograph, yeah, giant, just yeah. sort of like biography, life work of his, and that is uh, just a, a feat of binding, and that's an incredible book. Yeah, an incredible book. Yeah, he's, his mind is amazing. He's incredible. He's. He, I remember reading something. I think Ivan Bernetti said it. Like, just going. This was back in the '90s. Just going over to Chris's house and seeing his uh, self-made cassette tape covers makes you want to kill yourself. Yeah, <laughs> all of the, yeah. That monograph book has all of the like, you know, eight inch by eight inch by two inch paper replicas of houses and stuff. You're like, what is your brain? I love it. Like, yeah. it's, it's so incredible. Um, well, so before we get out of here, uh, you've got Cloven. Mm-hmm. The Cloven. The Cloven. Yeah, we it, we debated about that. I for like a while, that. You so know. That's the only reason I <laughs> specify. So the Cloven. Um, is that the one that you like were mentioning? The Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's there for a reason. Yeah. Um, is, the is, Jeffrey Figley. And who is putting that one out? Fanagraphics. So that's the one that Fanagraphics yeah. is doing. And that's the first of three volumes. Actually. Okay, cool. We're we've just begun. Well, Garth wrote it a while ago, but I've just begun working on. Volume two. So is it coming out as like standalone graphic novels that are related or is yeah. it going to be an issue thing? Okay. No, it's a, it's, I think the first issue, first issue, first book is 120 pages. Okay, cool. Nice. They'll each be roughly 120. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have, uh, do you know Jacob Covey? Yeah. From Fantagraphics? Yeah, he designed the, he designed it. We sell his hot sauce. Oh, here yeah. Too. Yeah. He and, he and uh, uh, one of our old customers does, uh, they do Hosa hot sauce and it's 
really good and also has some of the best art on a hot sauce bottle. I bet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we decided we were going to try and set it up at Fanographics, Jacob was the main reason I was really excited about that. Nice. Like, besides the fact that I love Fanographics. Yeah. But I was like, finally, I get Jacob to design a book. Uh, the Fanographics store in Seattle is one of my favorite things about Seattle. It's yeah. such, I've only been in once. I need to go back down. I was just looking at pictures of it earlier today, in fact, but just a super unique, unusual building. I love it. It's the, it, it immediately makes sense that that's the Fanographics store. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's run by this guy, Larry Reed, who is like a, a local treasure. He's, he, had an art gallery in Seattle in the early eighties that was like one of the one of or the first place to exhibit work by Linda Berry and oh, Charles wow. Burns and all those folks. And he managed this band, the U Men, who were part of the kind of pre grunge thing, you know. Um so he the store he runs the store more like an art gallery than a store. Um and the first time I went in there my band was playing, the Capillaries were playing at this place called Jules Mays, which is the oldest oldest bar in Seattle or oldest restaurant, um, oldest bar, I think, which is a few doors down from the Fanographics store. And we walked in, and, and Larry talks like this, kind of. <laughs> he's, he's real kind of crusty. And uh, he's asking us who we are, and, uh, you know, I say, well, we're in a band. He's like, oh, you're in a band. <laughs> and he gave us, like, a huge discount on our books just because we were in a band. Mm -hmm. Nice. Aww. So that tells you, like, what you need to know about the Fanographics yeah. store. <laughs> Have you, is this your first time working with them? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Has it just been a treat? It's, gr yes. I mean, like, I, I wish I had something interesting to say about it that wasn't just it's great but yeah. it is great because first of all Eric Reynolds is our uh, editor Eric I, I'm friends with most of the people that work at Fanographics already just from going to the Fanographics store for these events that they have every once a month they'll have like you know an art opening. In fact, tonight there's a Dan Klaus <laughs> art opening there. Um, I'm glad I don't work we, today. What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I knew Eric, his band played with my band at one point. We have talked and hung out and all that stuff. So to work with somebody who's already your friend, mm -hmm. uh, and who's like a big booster of me, you know, he's, he really likes my work and it shows and he's, he's a very, um, engaging and, uh, what's, enthusiastic person. So... Unlike some jobs where when you work with an editor, you feel like you work for them and right. they're sort of like you're another problem on their to-do list. That's not the way it feels with Eric at all or with Fanographics in general. The Fanographics offices are operated out of this ramshackle, crappy house. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and that's what's cool about it. It, it all feels much more like... They're they're not doing it for the money. They're putting right. out some books that sell seven hundred copies. You yeah. know, it's like, but they'll put out that one, and then they'll put out the next volume of that one too. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and so I'm one of the seven hundred that buys those books. I, yeah, know? I have a huge amount of respect for the those guys. They just put out the like the Ed Piscor Studio Edition. I saw that when I came in. I was like, I got to look at that. Yeah, one. it is so gorgeous. But it's the kind of thing where so much work went into that book, and I'm like, I don't know how many of these they're gonna sell. Yeah, but it's like. Yeah, the amount of care that they put into their work. I'm, I'm very uh, glad to hear that you'll be putting out something through those. Uh, it's very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. They're the 
they're the publisher I most wanted to work with, but they don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. and so it's like it can be difficult to make something work, you right. know, especially like a 120 page book. But because of the way Garth was able to handle some of that stuff, uh, Garth Stein, who wrote The Art of Racing in the Rain, uh, which was a huge bestseller. Like, I actually hadn't heard of Garth huh. or the book uh, I when book. I was introduced to him. It, they just put out a movie of it that didn't do all that well. It wasn't a bad movie, actually, but it didn't do well. Um, but The Art of Racing in the Rain sold four million copies. Wow. Four million yeah, copies geez. of a novel. Yeah. And uh, and when I first met Garth, he was like, he he talked about it like, I, I hit the jackpot, <laughs> and so I want to make some other stuff, and now I can. Yeah. You know? Uh, it wasn't like, so now I'm going to invest in real estate, sure, and I'm going to get sure. a rental property, and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. He's like, I like making things. Yeah. And guys like that are exactly the people that I need to work with because my – my enthusiasm doesn't flag, but my uh, my self belief, whatever the word would be for that, flags all the time, forty or fifty times a day. Uh-huh. And you know, I would like agonize over a thing, and I would send it off to Garth, and you know, he'd he'd text me back, and I would say, "You're a fucking genius. I love it." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like I'd be like, well, I guess I'll go do I it again. Yeah. I'm going to send him every panel instead of every yeah. page. Right. I sure need to work with people like that myself. Cause yeah. yeah. If it were up to my own, yeah, I just wouldn't do anything because, like, damn, it's not good enough. So why do it? Yeah. I was telling, I guess it was my girlfriend I was telling this. Like, I, I, I've been creative my whole life. Like, I started drawing when I was three. I never really did anything else. I was not good in school. In fact, I intended to drop out. I was in high school for five years. Um, All I've ever done is creative stuff. I made movies on Super 8 film when I was a little kid, and then I started playing guitar, and I had a band, and I was drawing the whole time, and then I went into the theater, and blah, 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 blah. And yet, when I think about going to work, I'm actively afraid, like afraid. I don't, I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like being a, you know, like showering in the dark because you don't want to see yourself naked. Sure, sure. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's stupid, but it's some kind of psychological syndrome that I've developed. So having somebody that like, you know, they're sort of placing an order based on their enthusiasm. Like, I really want to see what you'll do with this. Yeah, scene. right. Kind of gets me over that because then it's about making something that he will get excited about does any of that uh drive you to try to reach the you know a point that you're happy with like do do you keep going in order to reach a certain standard or does that just slow you down no that's the weird thing about what i just said uh these two things sound contradictory and they're not really even though even as i'm about to say i'm like really are you sure they're not but i think they're not uh (laughs) Like, if I think something I did is bad, nobody can convince me that it's not bad, Mm -hmm. no matter how much they love it. You know, like, uh, I cannot be convinced I'm wrong about that stuff. Um, And the problem is, you know, like, I'm I'm constantly trying to do something that I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't don't even care if it's good. I just want it to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Interesting to me. And uh, 
what's been great about working with Garth is, and this is the exact opposite of what sort of all the horror stories are. Like, uh, I'll come back around to the answer to that question. Uh, Garth had written this novel, um, The Cloven, and he thought it was not any good. He was like, this is not good. I think it needs to be a graphic novel. He'd never written comics, uh, wasn't a big comics fan even, um, but then was like on a mission. He was going to do this. And the great thing about Garth is he goes, I want to do this. And then next thing you know, he's set up the infrastructure to do it. <laughs> Whereas I go, I want to do this. Um, I need to think about it a little more. Yeah, yeah. that's Django and I's dynamic. He's yeah. <laughs> like, let's think about it for weeks. He's like, no, we need to do it right now. Yeah. Prove the concept. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so like he talked to Eric. Garth used to have a an office up the street from the fan graphics store, so he would walk down there and get comics, and then I guess he talked to Larry, and Larry said, you should talk to Eric at fan graphics. Eric, like I say, really likes my work, and he recommended me and thought that Garth and I would get along. And, you know, I admit, when he told me about it, he was like, yeah, there's this author. He has a book he wants to turn into a comic. Like, that can be bad news, oh, yeah. you know? But here's what's great. So Garth wrote this book that sold a bazillion copies, and he was immediately like, I don't know how to write a comic, and you know how to write it, so, like, help me to write it. And he didn't mean literally that I'm co-writing, right. but he, I sort of became sort of a de facto editor in a way in the process of making the thing. We would sort of talk over stuff, and I would say that – this scene that you wrote, I think you think it's four pages. It's like nine pages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Time he, works different here. Yeah. 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 And I had to sort of, uh, I didn't have, I shouldn't say had to. We talked about things like, um, you know, in a novel, you can write the phone rings, period. He walks across the room, picks up the phone, and listens, and then says hello. Well, you can't draw that, it's right. undrawable. And so I would say, like, the only way for me to do that sentence is I have to have three panels. Mm -hmm. He picks up the phone. He sits there and listens. That's panel two. Mm -hmm. Then he answers. That's panel three. And so, you know, Garth's very smart, so he, he picked up on the language of it very quickly. But it's counterintuitive to him, you know, or it was. Uh, so what that meant was I was able to massage things in a way that I wouldn't have with someone else's script. Right. Uh, and I could like go, I think I'm going to do this scene in silhouettes, you know, because he doesn't write descriptions like that. He writes yeah. it like a, it's like a film script the way he writes it. Uh, he doesn't break it into panels. Doesn't say, pa you mm -hmm. know, page 17, panel three, she picks up the phone, panel four, she jumps out the window. It's a, you know, it's a description of what happens. To you. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes I'm like, this would be cool if it was way longer. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a, there's a, I guess it turned out to be an eight-page spread that we wound up making it a four-page spread. But I made this huge, long thing. And there's a sequence where the cloven uh, sort of run, run loose in the park in this kind of naked uh sort of gambling through the park thing and I was like I'm going to make this as extravagant as I can you know and in a script that just says they run through the park sure yeah. sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> you know, where'd my pages go yeah <laughs> yeah so that's the thing yeah I'm always trying to find a way to 
for me to go, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got away with it this time. <laughs> now I can go do nothing for a week. Do you, I know. I'm always working for those nothing periods. Um, do you, as an artist, have a preference for, you know, uh, the Garth, sorry, the uh, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, like, super strict scripting telling you what to draw or do you prefer having just like I need this in several pages do whatever you want with that like do you have a preference is it nice to know exactly what you need to be drawing um this is another sort of equivocating answer both in this sense I'm a longtime fan of David Mamet Mm -hmm. and it's not so much Mamet's language that I love although I do love that but he's very very precise about what a scene is doing there like why it's in the script Mm -hmm. and that's what that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for when I'm reading I'm like what's this actually about you know what's if we cut this out does it change the story in any way is it like not going anywhere because once I've got that figured out then I already know what to draw I know what to shoot so to speak you know Um, so yeah I mean like if if you had written a script about this scene that we're going through here the specifics of this room would be like that. I want to believe poster the fact that just these two lights are on mm-hmm. in a room where there are all these others. Sure. Uh, I want to know that stuff. I want to know whatever sort of evocative, you know, the the three colors of paper back there. That's okay. another thing. I would want to know all that, you know. Okay. But then after a certain point, too, you go, yeah, but it just it's sort of the same as every other office in terms of the like the low nap carpet, sure. the same. Kind of, well, that's actually sort of a different kind of desk, but you know. <laughs> came with the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're looking for a better one. <laughs> I kind of like it actually. Well, how big's your car? <laughs> Gosh, I got yeah. nothing else. Yeah, I mean, Clint, anything? You got anything else? Oh. Sure, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess we've officially got a signing starting in 30 minutes. But Yeah. I don't know. I just like hearing the, it sounds like there's, I always like the balance of trying to find that way of when you're, when you have a need to create and that you're making the career out of your just personal need to be creating mm-hmm. things, that balance, it sounds like you've worked really hard towards finding the, the fulfilling that just need to put it out there and, and the this is also going to be consumed by other people and i feel like i because i often hate what i do but my best stuff comes from when i just like ah, no one's gonna want this but i'm gonna make it right, just right. for me and like yeah. i've gotten really into doing expressive arts workshops and things where it's all about creating and then chucking the thing in the garbage when you're done mm. <laughs> and uh and so it's just been interesting listening to you talk about that kind of that balance and i just had a talk with my mom a couple days ago my mom's kind of in crappy health right now and uh so we've been having these conversations they're not i don't want to over dramatize this it's not sort of like end of life conversations Mm -hmm. but things where we're sort of talking about large scale stuff and the other day i was talking to her she's in a in a uh, like a what's the word i'm looking for a rehab right now not an alcohol rehab but like a physical rehab yeah um she she may actually be out today, but soon she'll be out. So she's doing well enough in that sense. But anyway, we were talking, and uh, she said, yeah, I remember when you told me that you wanted to go into theater, and I tried to talk you out of it, and you said to me, like, you would never forgive me if I didn't let you, 
which I don't remember at all. <laughs> I, I don't. I've totally blacked that out. Uh, I have also blacked out when we sent my dad to rehab mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, when she told me about that, I was like, "What? How did I forget that?" Sure. Yeah. But I had a very specific memory once it kind of came back to me, which was is a total side note, but I'll tell you because it's a good story. So, my parents had separate bedrooms. And then I'll come back to the point. Uh, my parents had separate bedrooms. My mom stayed in like kind of the second bedroom, and my dad stayed in the the uh, master bedroom. So I would have been about six at this point, something like that. The master bedroom was at the end of the hall, and there was a a mirror on the outside of the door. And like I say, I forgot all about this rehab thing. But my mom said, yeah, your dad went into his bedroom and he wouldn't come out while we were all gathered. And I had this memory of being a little kid walking down the hall and seeing my own reflection as I tried to get him to come out. Mm -hmm. And it was like, bam, that came back to me suddenly. That's my only memory of that. Um, Anyway, to get back to the point, uh, was... um, I just knew I was going to be miserable. Like, I had a lot of jobs, you know. Mm. I, I liked working in a movie theater, but I didn't like working for people in a movie theater. 100%. I, I worked at a hobby shop, 100%. and that guy treated me like I was an idiot, and I was way smarter than he was, and it drove me fucking nuts mm-hmm. when he would <laughs> condescend to me. Um, and all those things. And so, like, I just knew, like, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't do something creative i'm smart enough to do like a whatever kind of job sure but i i just can't stand it i just go nuts so i was just basically able to to get it together either through you know food stamps or just living super cheap like you know i've never really had a new car Mm -hmm. i had a cheap Toyota truck for a year that was new when I bought it, but it was it was really inexpensive. Well, I guess that's not true. I got a Saturn. I had a Saturn that was new. I have a Saturn right now. Mm-hmm. I loved my new. Saturn. Like, <laughs> And my Saturn like figures heavily into that Aurora book, by the way. Um, <laughs> Hopefully ev- they uh, do the right one when they adapt it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to be specific about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a a feature of my writing. I try and put as much of my own experience in it. Like for a long time when I was writing plays, I tried to only write characters with names of people I knew (laughs) because I was like, like if I didn't know a Django, that just seems like a, like a made up name. Yeah. Who are you pulling that name from? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now that I know one, I can be like, oh yeah, well he's like Django. Uh What's that whole, like those, real life is stranger than fiction and like Chris Christopherson is a great example of right. like if someone wrote that if they didn't write the most stellar script ever everyone would be like this is an unbelievable life mm-hmm. but right. yeah. yeah that's and that's sort of what I'm wrestling with right now is like when I'm thinking about how the plot plays out in a lot of ways that I haven't sorted out yet I keep going like how far is too far because he's already I mean I, it's not going to be truly about Chris Christopherson mm-hmm. but it's already a little like, wait a minute, a Rhodes Scholar helicopter pilot West Point guy became a janitor. <laughs> yeah. That didn't happen, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, 
It's like yeah. how with The Wire, how the character Omar was based off of, they had to tame down some of the things yeah. that he'd done to make it believable. Like he jumped out of a six-story window instead of a third story, but they just the couldn't. Yeah. And, yeah, and Omar's already such a cartoon in the show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Matt, um, it sounds like I, I'm just really impressed with your sort of s- s- mix of lack of confidence but also belief in self. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. I think it's awesome that you've got so, so many varied ways to get that creative stuff out. Um, can't wait to check out The Cloven, Aurora, and The Volunteers. The so you've got a busy yeah. couple of years coming out. Yeah, I'm I'm actually scared of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a good thing to be scared. I spent the last couple of years, well, that's not true. I was going to say just kind of taking it easy. But, yeah, I, I'm certainly not going to be taking it easy this yeah, year. Yeah, well, I can't wait to, to keep up with it all, and we hope to have you back in here. But thank you so much for coming up to the store, doing thank this you. with us. I hope the signing goes well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we'll all hopefully cross paths with you at multiple times over the next several years. I think we're sure running we out of... Uh, Matt's with a rock and roll background who do comic books. We just talked with uh, Matt Rosenberg. Oh yeah, uh, and he's got a ago. he's got a rock background oh, too. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he did everything but but be on stage. <laughs> so I don't know who's then, next from music. Uh, yeah, but, music uh, and comics. That's <laughs> such a an interesting marriage. It makes a lot of sense to me. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of overlap in careers. Which yeah, is I think in cool. the '70s it was like real common. Yeah, uh, there's some band that, like the Marvel staffers had <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that like Frank Miller drew them into a story, and I can't remember like it's sort of pre Daredevil Frank Miller. I wish I could remember. Gosh, no, that does yeah. sound vaguely familiar. There was a recurring band in the background of things. Yeah, they had some names. It was not the order. The order was like the, uh, the staffers, but it was something like. I did my best. You changed your mind.